0: Welcome to Dig Deep. Well, I am going to guess you've never heard the name Franklin Apollo before. Franklin Apollo was a motivational speaker back in the 90s, and he was never very famous, but he was made slightly more famous when a YouTube video of one of his speaking engagements went semi-viral on YouTube a few years ago. In this video of his speaking engagement... Franklin Apollo asks his audience to write on index cards something that's holding them back in life, something that is causing them fear or anxiety or just generally holding them back. Well, later on in the clip, he explains that one of the audience members had written on her card that trust was holding her back, an inability to trust people. And so he says, so I want to invite Laura up onto the stage. Come on up here, Laura. You wrote trust on your card. Come on up. And he asks the audience to clap for her and they clap for Laura. She comes up on stage. Well, Franklin Apollo then explains to the audience that he's going to demonstrate with Laura what he calls the ultimate trust fall. And really, you come to find out, it's just a trust fall. I don't know if he thinks he invented the trust fall or what, but he brings a stepladder out onto the stage. He asks Laura to climb up onto the second rung of the ladder, and then he's talking to the audience, and he's explaining, Laura is going to fold her arms across her chest. She's going to fall back. She's going to stay flat as a board because she trusts that I'm going to catch her, and then I am going to catch her, and we are going to build trust in Laura's life. He's going on and on and on. Well, then the clip fast-forward a little bit more when he's clearly coached her and they've done whatever amount of talking. And he says, okay, now it's time to do it. We are going to do this trust fall. And he stretches his arms out behind Laura and she's standing with her back to him on the stepladder. And he says, okay, Laura, on the count of three, I want you to fall back into my arms and demonstrate your trust. Are you ready? And she nods yes. And he says to the audience, are you ready? And they say yes. And he says, one, two, three. And then he turns to the audience and starts to address them with his next point. While in the background, Laura falls backward, flat as a board, hits her head on the floor, and is knocked unconscious. I wish I could say I was kidding, but I'm not. And what's worse than his Horrible, horrible mistake that left this poor woman injured and unconscious is that he tries to keep going with his performance. He tries to act like he did it on purpose. And eventually, some men come up on the stage and they're checking on Laura and making sure she's okay. And one guy comes up and he's clearly telling him, Dude, you need to stop talking and get off the stage. And you hear Apollo turn to him a little bit off the mic and say, It's okay, I've done this before. To which I would say, Really? You've done this before, and you're not in prison? Today, we are starting a new series on trust. Dr. Henry Cloud, who's a Christian clinical psychologist, and he's authored many best-selling books, defines trust like this. He says, trust can be defined as a confident expectation. And based on how stick-straight Laura remained until she hit the floor, I believe she had a very confident expectation that Franklin Apollo was going to catch her like he assured her he would. And so it's probably no surprise to you that Franklin Apollo allegedly changed his name to Todd Connor in an effort to get a fresh start and stay on the motivational speaking circuit. And I don't blame him because nobody was going to trust him again. And sadly... You've probably had an experience a lot like that in a relationship. You placed some amount of trust in someone and he let you down. She didn't follow through and you got hurt. Trust was lost. Trust was broken. We all intrinsically, I think, understand that no relationship can be very deep or meaningful without trust. We know that's incredibly important for our relationships, but it can be somewhat of an abstract concept. We know whether we feel like we trust someone or not, but we don't necessarily know why. Brene Brown, who is a best-selling author and a wonderful speaker, explains how trust is a lot like a marble jar. She tells this story of how her daughter's teacher used a jar of marbles on her desk as a discipline and reward system for her class. So if the class did something positive, then a few marbles would go into the jar. If they did something negative, she would take a few marbles out of the jar. And once the jar was full, the class would get a party. Well, one day, Brené Brown's daughter came home from school and had been hurt by a friend. A friend had broken her trust. And Brown said to her, You know, honey, trust is a lot like a marble jar. Brown says it this way. She says, we often think trust is built by grand gestures at crucial moments in our lives, but trust is typically built with simplicity and small actions. She goes on to say that after looking at the research, it's very clear. Trust is built in very small moments. Brown refers to Charles Feltman, and she says she thinks he has the most beautiful definition of trust. And I think I agree. Here's how Charles Feltman defines trust. He says, trust is choosing to make something important to you vulnerable to the actions of someone else. Trust is choosing to make something important to you vulnerable to the actions of someone else. The problem is that humans are notoriously untrustworthy. We've all been burned. We've all been hurt. And so we instinctively guard ourselves. We don't want to make ourselves vulnerable to the actions of somebody else because we're afraid we're going to get hurt. I kid you not, this morning I woke up way too early to the sound of my third-born child yelling the name of my firstborn child all around the house. It seemed like she was going into every room and at the top of her lungs screaming her sister's name. And so I stumbled out of bed and thought why isn't she answering her where is she why isn't she answering her sister I finally got them both into the same room and I said through gritted teeth to my older daughter why didn't you just answer her and then my older daughter turned to her younger sister and said with as much frustration as I was feeling every time you find me you just hit me so I don't trust you anymore that's why I didn't respond to you And I thought, well, isn't that the truth? Isn't that exactly what we're talking about today? Isn't that true of so many of our relationships? Someone has a history of hurting us again and again in big ways or in small ways. And so we naturally retreat and hide because trust has been broken. And so if trust can be defined as making yourself or something that's important to you vulnerable to the actions of someone else, then we say, heck no. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to answer when that person comes looking for me, wanting to build our relationship and moving forward. I don't trust them. And we're tempted to become that paranoid guy who lives in a bunker as a hermit. But of course we know that's a pretty miserable way to live and it's not the way God intended for us to live. The deep, Meaningful relationships that God created us to enjoy with others are all founded on trust. The Apostle Paul says it this way, he's outlining for us what real love is looks like. And it's a very familiar passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We hear him say that love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in the evil, but rejoices with the truth. And then he says of love, love always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes and it always perseveres. Love always trusts. And when I looked at that verse in a couple different translations, that word that's used there, the Greek word, it's pronounced something like ti wo, wo," it is translated to mean a couple different things. It can mean believing in something, having faith that someone's going to come through, trusting in someone. But the important thing to note there is that trust is a verb, Trust isn't a noun. It's not something we just have or we don't. Trust is an action. It's a verb. It's something that we do. We place our trust. We extend trust to others. And it's something that Paul is saying is a critical part of loving relationship with other people. So today I want us to give trust some practical Handles that I believe will serve us really well in our relationships. Dr. Henry Cloud, who I mentioned earlier, outlined five ingredients of trust in his book, The Power of the Other. These have been incredibly helpful to me. I hope that they're helpful to you. And in those relationships where you know that you either trust someone or you don't, but you don't necessarily know why, I believe that his five ingredients will give you language and the tools to have a dialogue to move toward trust in that relationship and building it for the future. So these are Dr. Henry Cloud's five ingredients for trust. I encourage you to write these down. I think they'll be incredibly helpful to you. The first one is understanding, understanding. Does this person understand me? Is this person listening to me? Do they know what I need? And so to understand this point, you can imagine that you walk into a doctor's office for the very first time. Maybe you're in need of a minor surgical procedure and you've heard that this doctor, you know, he's just the best surgeon in the whole world. And so you walk into his office and you're really encouraged because you see a whole wall of framed awards and credentials and accolades. And so you feel really hopeful. And then you sit down and you listen and he does all the talking and he explains that he's conducted over 50,000 successful surgeries and, and you breathe a sigh of relief. You're thinking, man, this guy really knows his stuff, and you're getting excited. But then he very abruptly says, All right, so let's get you on the table and cut you open. And you say, Wait, wait, I didn't even tell you what's wrong with me yet. And while that seems a little bit ridiculous, according to a 2006 study looking at the frequency of surgical errors in the United States, each year there could be as many as 2,700 mistakes where a surgery is performed on the wrong part of someone's body or on the wrong patient altogether. That's about seven a day. That's crazy. I read the account of one woman who went in to get her tonsils removed and the surgeon removed part of her foot and all of those errors, all of those errors, as ridiculous as they seem, they all come down to a communication breakdown, a lack of understanding. Trust requires dialogue. It is not enough to know about someone publicly. We need to know them in relationship. We need to have dialogue. We need to know that they're listening to us. If I have a babysitter come over to watch my kids and she's looking at her phone while I'm explaining where the emergency contacts are or how to handle the bedtime routine, I'm eventually going to say, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. We're going to skip the date tonight because I'm not going to trust the care of my children to someone who isn't listening to me. We don't have understanding. Understanding is the first step, a key ingredient to building trust. Then the second ingredient is related. It's ability. Can this person actually do what it is I need them to do? So this is sort of the flip side of understanding. See, someone could be the best listener in the whole world. They could have a ton of empathy for us and really understand our needs, but if they can't actually meet our needs then we shouldn't trust them. So we don't want a surgeon who just listens to us and is really sweet. We want the surgeon who has over 50,000 successful surgeries. And see, sometimes I think we romanticize trust and we fall into this trap where we ask the question, do you trust me? Check yes or no. You know, it's, it's never that simple. Trust is not as simple as a blanket statement of do you trust me or not? The better question is, do I trust you with what? I mean, do I trust you with my kids? Do I trust you with my car? Do I trust you with my heart? Those are all very different things. Or do I trust you to do something? Do I trust you to complete the assignment? Do I trust you to honor our vows? Do I trust you to keep my secret? Can this person do what I need them to do? And if not, what can we do to develop that ability? Because often just by talking about it and making a plan, we can help the person develop the ability to meet our needs in that relationship, and trust is built. So the second ingredient is ability. The third ingredient is motive. Motive. Is this person for me, or are they against me? Dr. Cloud points out that it does not matter how much ability someone has. If we don't believe that they want what's best for us, we will never truly be able to trust them. He also points out that when we enter an interaction with another person, we immediately scan their face and their body language and determine subconsciously whether they are for us or against us. He says, this isn't something we think about. It's just something that we do as humans. We immediately read someone's body language and their face and we make a snap judgment. Are they for us or against us? And then we operate out of that belief. And for us to trust someone, we need to feel that they are for us. And it's not enough to just feel that they aren't against us. Neutrality is never enough. We need to know that they are for us. All of my kids have needed to learn this and develop this trust in our relationship with them over time. And one of the most tangible examples I can think of is how each of our older three children have learned at some point to jump into the pool knowing that we will catch them. And all of our kids have done this at different ages, you know, as toddlers, and some of them were braver or bolder than others to jump further, younger. They've all been different, but they've all eventually trusted us to jump. And with each of them, we did what any good parent would do. And when they finally took that huge leap of faith and jumped from the side of the pool, we very lovingly stepped to the side to let them belly flop and smack their bellies on the water because they need to learn a healthy fear of the water, right? No, no, we would never do that. Our kids need to know that we are for them, that they can trust us. And so, of course, we have caught them and they have gradually jumped farther and farther and trusted us with more and more because they know that we are for them. And here's why this area of motive is especially tricky. See, we can have good motives in a relationship. But unfortunately, if we're not careful with our communication, everything from our facial expression to our body language, to the little decisions that we make, we can give the impression that we actually have malicious motives and nothing kills trust quicker than feeling like someone has turned against us in his or her heart. Because if trust is choosing to make yourself or something important to you vulnerable to the actions of someone else, then if I think you've got it out for me, I'm not going to make anything in my life vulnerable to you because I think you're just going to smash it. Motive is a critical element of trust and this is where a lot of us get stuck. And so if you're in a relationship and you know that this is an area where your relationship is struggling with questions of motive and do we have good motives, a great question to ask is what can I do to show you that I am for you? What can I do to show you that I am on your team, that I want what's best for you? that my motives are good? What can I do to show you that I am for you? And talk about what those things could look like practically and make those changes and those little actions, those little decisions, one by one, will add marbles to the jar of trust. So that's the third ingredient, motive. The fourth ingredient is character, character. And when Dr. Cloud talks about character, he's not just talking about moral character. He's using character in the fullest sense of the word, who someone is is the way that they think, how they feel, how they behave, who they are, their personality, everything about them. And as my mom says, she says, I trust my surgeon and I trust my mechanic, but I wouldn't trust my surgeon to fix my transmission any more than I would trust my mechanic to remove my gallbladder. So you have to ask yourself, who is this person? Because there are things that are elements of someone's personality, their expertise, their role in your life, that if those things are misplaced, it will make it difficult for you to trust them. What they're doing might not necessarily be malicious, but it's making it hard for trust to grow. And you need to understand each other and how you think, how you operate, your personalities so that trust can grow. That's why there's a lot of value to personality tests. Some people love these, some people hate them. I personally think they're really really valuable just in understanding who other people are, how they think, how they operate because sometimes who a person is, what makes them tick, what how they think about things can lead to misunderstanding just in the natural differences between us. And that goes back to the first point of understanding. And if understanding doesn't exist, then it's hard to trust. And so figuring out who someone is and what their role in your life is, how your personalities can work together, can be a great step in building trust and understanding each other better. And the last ingredient is track record. Track record. And Dr. Cloud says it this way. He says, every one of us is subconsciously, Writing out a mental map of all of our relationships as they move forward. We think about where we've been, we acknowledge where we are now, and those things give us a pretty good indicator of where we're going in the future. And so, a lot of what we do, a lot of our actions are just products of the path that we've been on, the map that we are living out in this relationship. And so, it's only when something changes in the now that we can change the trajectory of the relationship moving forward. And so when we look at the track record of our relationships, it's important for us to be able to say, I want to trust you in the future. I want to trust you even more in the future. But in order to do that, we need to talk now through the things in our past. And we need to look at where we are now and figure out what changes need to be made so that our future can be different from our past. That's just honestly acknowledging that there are things in the past, big and small, that have taken marbles out of the jar of trust. Being humble enough to speak those things in love, being humble enough to listen and to receive them, to ask for forgiveness when needed, and to say, we can't change our past, but what can we do now in the present to change what our future will look like forever? To shift the track record So that five years from now, 10 years from now, our track record will look different than it does today. And the way we do that is by having honest conversations surrounding these five ingredients. What are areas where we are not understanding one another? What are areas where we don't have ability that we need to develop right now? Do we have good motives? And if so, how can we communicate those good motives to each other in small little intentional decisions that move us toward trust? How can we get to know each other better, to understand each other's personalities better? And then ultimately, what can we do to change our track record moving forward? And so I would encourage you to write those five things down. And as you think about the relationship that you're in, maybe circle the areas where you know you are struggling or you know you need to do some work or dialogue about some things with the person that you are struggling to trust. And you may be thinking, Man, that sounds like a lot of work. And yeah, it is. It is. And it's worth it. It is worth it. The Apostle Paul reminds us, and I want to read his words again, that love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, it always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love chooses to trust. It never gives up, even when it means starting small, extending trust to that person, never throwing in the towel. You can't rebuild trust overnight. There is no quick pill to swallow to make somebody trust you or to make yourself trust someone else, but it is possible to slowly rebuild it and make it stronger and stronger and stronger for the future. And it's what God wants us to do to build relationships that are healthy and meaningful and loving the way that he intended us to. So, I hope that these five ingredients are helpful to you. I know they've served me well in my relationships. I hope that they'll do the same for you. Next week, we are going to continue this series by shifting our focus. Instead of talking about trust in our human relationships with each other, we're going to start talking about our relationship with God. How do we trust God? And if He really is a good, loving, perfect God, then why is it so hard to trust Him at times? And I'm encouraged that when I read the New Testament and read about the disciples and their relationship with Jesus, Jesus. I'm encouraged to see that even though they lived with him, they walked with him, they struggled to trust him at times and they had to build a trusting relationship over time. So next week, we're going to specifically look at the apostle Peter and his relationship with Jesus and how he grew his trust in Jesus over time. I think it's going to be a great week. I hope you'll come back and join us then. And until then, remember to dig deep.